Kevin Lundberg, we um, you know have him on from time to time. He is a former state senator. And uh, he does a Lundberg report, and uh, it's a weekly report, and he has written that property rights in the 2019 session. He said, uh, property owners and their rights were impacted by several pieces of legislation in Colorado this year, and none of it was for the good. The right to own and control private property is an essential part of a free society. Any infringements on this principle erodes our freedoms because free choices in many areas of life are only possible if one can own and control the possessions that they need to conduct the affairs of their lives. And he starts with Senate Bill 181, which is that oil and gas regulations. He said this is probably the biggest taking of private property in the history of state of Colorado. Everyone in Colorado will feel the effects of this bill as it will increase the cost of energy. And the overall economy will be severely challenged. Senate Bill 181 is also the end of thousands of jobs in Colorado. And many oil and gas related businesses will either go out of business or leave the state. And this is an excellent segue into our guest. And that is William Perry Penling. And this important piece that he's written regarding America's energy boom is changing geopolitics just as Reagan foresaw. And so it's beyond me why, why we're trying to shut down oil and gas development when, in essence, what Reagan was able to see has actually helped the United States and we become energy independent. So William Perry Penley, welcome to the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson. Hey, Kim, great to be with you. Apologize for the glitch. Well, you know what? Uh, Live radio and technology, it's always interesting, so it's great to have you on the line here. This piece that that you have written for the uh, Washington Examiner is really... uh, an excellent piece, and I, I remember that. I, the promo that we did, right. and this is from your, your, um, your piece, is that in 1977, Jimmy Carter said that we're, we were going to run out of uh, oil and gas. That's right. Yeah, that was, that was his prediction. He, he said we didn't have, uh, uh, we had only 30 years left, and so we had to really conserve, and Reagan's response was, uh, if we're going to conserve, it last three years to the 30 we have. Uh, so that, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, Reagan had been a, a very close observer of Washington D.C. for years. Um, and most people don't realize what what of a uh, what what a, a reader Reagan was, and how he just. I mean, he was either doing one of two things before he became governor. He was on a movie set, or he was home with Nancy in the library reading, and he had just an amazing library. He did almost all of his own research uh, on his radio shows. And he had been following the government predictions about running out of oil for decades. And every time the, the Bureau, of Land, uh, Bureau of Mines or the U.S. Geological Survey would say, well, we're about to run out or we only have X years, uh, then all of a sudden, a couple of years later, it would be, up, oh, wow, we, we made these big discoveries. And so Reagan, Reagan was a keen observer of that. And he said, we're not running out of oil. I mean, in fact... Reagan knew that the federal government owns a third of the country, half of it in Colorado, half of Colorado is owned by the federal government, and the entire outer continental shelf, a billion acres of land. And he simply said, why, why are we not drilling there? Because if we drilled there, we'd find oil. And uh, as he said uh, at the, his uh, acceptance speech in 1980 with the Republican convention, he said, why is Carter afraid of drilling? Is he afraid we're going to make another discovery? So uh, he was not afraid of the future. Uh, Jimmy Carter was. 
Well, how do you think it's changing the geopolitical structure now with the, what you know with his vision? What do you well, see? Uh, what at the time? Just remember where we are, and the young people that you know they just have no concept on how, how what a scary time it was. It was a scary, scary time. Uh, the Soviet Union was on the march uh, in, in Europe and Africa and, and Latin America. Uh, we were beholden to uh, the Middle East. Uh, when OPEC had meetings, we all shivered uh, out of fright. We had gas lines. We had triple-digit uh, unemployment, inflation, and interest rates. Uh, it, it was a fearsome time, and everybody feared what Reagan called, and I guess everybody called um, a mutually assured destruction, what we called MAD, uh, which, which simply meant, oh, we're going we're gonna to bomb the hell out of each other and there'll be nothing left of the planet, and just one misstep, one uh, misunderstanding will result in this. So it's a very scary time. And so whenever the United States did anything in foreign affairs, we had to think, what will this do to our energy supply? Uh, is somebody going to get mad at us and cut us off? Uh, is Iran going to get mad at us and cut us off? Venezuela going to get mad at us and cut us off? And today, we don't think about that anymore, uh, simply because we have so much energy. We have an energy glut. In the last year, our exports of liquefied natural gas to Europe have grown up 250%. Uh, that's a, this is just astonishing number, and it totally changes the relationship between the Europeans and the Soviet Union, because the Soviet Union used to be able to say to, to Europe, hey, we've got natural gas, we have it in abundance, we are your lifeline, and you listen to what we say, uh, I don't listen to the United States. And that's all changed. Uh, that's totally changed. Venezuela, can we... Uh, get ourselves involved in Venezuela and, and, and do something in defense of the people who are suffering so uh, in that country. Uh, in the past, we could not, simply because, whoa, uh, we get 7 10% of our oil from Venezuela. We sure can't afford to make them mad. Uh, well, now, well, who, who cares? We have plenty of energy on our own. And as I said in the peace camp, Everywhere the politicians, and this fits with what you said in the lead-in, everywhere the politicians allow us to drill, we happen to we find energy. It's just the, the nature of the thing. And, and that's the second thing that the Reagan understood. Uh, you know, a lot of people think, oh, Exxon and Mobil and Chevron uh, and all the big companies, they're out there discovering this oil. No, they're not. No, they're not. They're pumping gas. They're the ones that are supplying it to us. Who's out there making the discovery? What we call here in the American West, we call the wildcatters. Uh, um, people like my late friend uh, Mick McMurray up in Casper, who discovered the Jonah Field in western Wyoming. Uh, they're the ones who are out there with an idea and a thought and a plan and a scheme and saying, hey, maybe I can make this work. And they look at the seismic data and they bring in fracking experts and all of a sudden uh, we're, we're they, as they said, <laughs> In a Bonnie and Clyde movie, we're in the money, uh, and, and the United States has energy. And that's why I call I call fracking an uh, a energy, economic, and environmental miracle. And it's an environmental miracle because it's leading the transition to natural gas, uh, which uh, 
which decreases our our carbon footprint, as Al Gore might say. But we, you know, people say, oh, we didn't join the Trump got out of the Paris Agreement. Well, good for him, um, but we're leading the other countries as far as trying to meet some sort of uh, um, uh, a less carbon uh, emissions goal than everybody else. Uh, simply because we're producing more natural gas and it's leading that transition. And the third thing, of course, is it's boosting the economy. Um, a couple of years ago, I don't know what the current statistics are, but a couple of years ago, seven out of every ten jobs in Pennsylvania were oil and gas jobs. And, and I don't mean the roughnecks on the, on the equipment. Uh, but it's other jobs, too, the suppliers, the people who haul in the fracking sand, the people who, frankly, take the, take the, uh, the refuge away from the drilling site, the people who come in and clean things up. Uh, it's just, just mind-boggling. Seventy percent of the new jobs in the state of Pennsylvania, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, were oil and gas jobs. And it's all because of fracking. And you look across the border in New York, where Cuomo said, no, we're not going to let you frack up here, uh, they're in poverty. The people in upstate New York, I have many friends there, I've visited their office, I've represented them in court, and they're in poverty now simply for one reason, they cannot drill on their own land. And so it's amazing. You know, William Perry Penley, we're going to go to break. When we come back, I have additional questions regarding uh, oil and gas. Uh, I submit to you that hydrocarbons... Uh, actually have helped more people get out of poverty and has helped with their health, their their well-being, than almost anything else out there. But uh, I do want to talk a little bit. I just have a comment on New York. So we're going to go to break, and we'll, when we come back, we'll continue this important conversation with William Perry Pinley and his piece, America's Energy Boom is Changing Geopolitics, Just as Reagan Foresaw. We'll be right back. Having a very important conversation with William Perry Pinley. He is the author of Sagebrush Rebel. He's also the author of an important piece that was recently published in the Washington Examiner. America's energy boom is changing geopolitics, just as Reagan foresaw. And before we went to break, Perry, you had said that seven out of ten jobs in new jobs in Pennsylvania are oil and gas jobs. But just across the border where there is uh, uh, basically a ban on uh, new oil and gas development in New York, that people are living in poverty. And, and, and going back to Venezuela, I remember when Venezuela was a thriving and prosperous country. It's not because they don't have resources. It's because of public policy. So now we come over to Colorado. And first of all, uh, you know, one of the questions one of our uh, my frequent guests has about socialism and communism, you felt good, but did you do good? So there's this whole (laughs) narrative out there about, uh, you know, we want to have clean air, clean water for our kids. And and then this big, bad oil and gas, you know, is uh, is polluting it. I, I personally I don't buy it. And when I was reading your piece on Reagan, when Jimmy Carter said we're in politicians, bureaucrats and interested parties said we're we're going to run out of um, oil and gas in 30 years. And Reagan says, I'm not buying that. But he was getting this from uh, I can't remember who you said, but it's it's, it's it seemed to me like. Scientists say, scientists say, you know, and and that's what we're, you know, we're seeing here in in Colorado. And so you mentioned that they were basically 
uh, trying to cut us off. We were concerned that in the Middle East, if we made a mad, that they would cut us off from energy. How is it, William Perry Penley, that we have policies in Colorado that want to cut us off from energy? I don't get it. No, it doesn't make any sense, and I think it's a part of a, a, a mindset that says, well, the oil and gas industry, it can absorb any cost. Uh, we can impose any burden on it. We can put all sorts of regulations on it, and it'll never go away. It has nowhere else to go. Just like that line, old movie, Officer and a Gentleman, where the Richard Gere character says, I got nowhere else to go. Uh, the oil patch has everywhere else to go. It can go to Wyoming, for example. It can go to North Dakota, for example. There are lots of other places to go where the regulations are not so onerous. I gave a speech on the on April 12th to leadership of the Rockies, and a woman stepped up to me afterwards from Weld County, and she said, you know, when that proposition was on the ballot, uh, we, the, we had a contract with an oil and gas company. It was going to do seismic work on our property. And then that proposition to really – uh, the setback uh, plan uh, failed at the ballot, and the company came back in and did the seismic work in preparation for drilling. And now that this new legislation is passed, the company says, we're, we're leaving town. Uh, we're not going to uh, explore on your private property. So that's what, it, that's what happens. And the people, are they think about this fracking thing. The environmental community thrives on this idea of scarcity. Uh, and that's right. what Jimmy Carter was preaching. That's what the environmentalists, the Malthusians, have preaching forever. And, and just simply say, we, we have this scarcity. We're going to run out. We've got to put the government in charge because the government will know what to do. And so because we have demonstrated we do not have scarcity, the Greens, the environmentalists, have to go to war against fracking. And they say, oh, fracking is evil, fracking is bad, we've got to stop fracking. Why do they want to stop fracking? Because that's how we're getting the energy out. Well, and affordable, reliable, and abundant energy is one of the things that really has helped uh, people get out of poverty and to live longer. Uh, to, oh, yeah. Tomorrow we're going to have uh, a woman on with Liberty Oilfield Services. You know, one of the things that um, that they talked about fracking is that it's loud. And I, I don't know if people understand there's a difference between uh, drilling a well, fracking a well, and then the well that's producing. Those, they're, they're all different. And fracking can be loud. It's for a, a, basically a short period of time, typically no longer than I think 30 days max, but it can be loud. And so Reagan, in our, I don't know if you heard our quote that we started uh, the, the day with, but the inspirational quote is, is he said, there are no great limits to growth because there are no limits of human intelligence, imagination, oh, yeah. and wonder. And so what happened is uh, the founders of this uh, little company, Liberty Oil Fill Services, heard people say, we're concerned about the noise uh, when a well is fracked, and they came up with a quiet fracking uh, um, system, and I, I've actually been out, I've, I've seen it, I've heard it, and so with creativity and innovation, they solve that right. problem. The enviros just want to bring the problems up. They don't want to solve them because they want to stop oil and gas development. Well, you're absolutely right, and the rating quote is spot on, and this is why the Malthusians were wrong, because they, number one, they underestimated the amount of natural resources available, and number two, they had, uh, underestimated the ingenuity of mankind to develop those resources. Uh, back in 1963, I heard Paul Harvey give a talk over the University of Wyoming, 
And he talked about pessimists who say when whale oil is gone, the world will be plunged into darkness. And I'm sure back when we used whale oil, everybody was thinking of that. Oh, my gosh, what will happen when we run out of whale oil? And then uh, uh, they discovered oil in Pennsylvania, and they discovered how to produce it, how to get it to market. Uh, Paul Simon, of course, years ago had um, that famous bet with uh, the butterfly specialist, uh, Paul Ehrlich, uh, who's always predicting the end of everything, and, and said, I bet in 10 years you pick uh, you pick the uh, resource, you pick the metal, or you pick the natural resource, and I'll bet you in 10 years we have more of it than we have today. Uh, of course, uh, the butterfly specialists say they were running out of everything, and in 10 years, Simon was right. Uh, there was more of it. The prices were higher simply because of human ingenuity and stuff. Reagan was right uh, in so many ways, and that's why the left is so wrong, they say. No, we'll never find our way out of this. There are no solutions. Uh, government has to be in charge because they're smart and they can figure it out. And government's the worst, the worst place to have decisions made. And like you say about the company Liberty Oil Field Services, they said, hey, here's a problem. We can solve the problem. We can make money at it. We can put food on the table, and we can make the world a better place. Wow. Isn't that the American dream? Uh, it, it truly is the American dream. And and so I see this whole argument that now it's a, it's a straw man, really, and that is the whole global warming thing. That is the thing, you know, we're teaching it in our schools, and we're now well, using that argument to try to control people, that, that we're going to be running, you know, that the temperature is going to go up. Now, okay, so it is uh, June 18th, and this morning <laughs> when I got in the car, it was 56 degrees. You know that's a yeah. pretty cool yeah. June eighteenth, and um, well, we have a, we we have a, uh, we're approaching summertime later this week, and we have not had uh, a, a ninety degree day in Denver yet. Uh, we had the uh, biggest snowpack. What what do we have? We have two hundred thirty seven percent of normal on on our snowpack here in Colorado. I drove up to Mount Evans on Monday. Usually, you uh, you can drive up to Mount Evans on top of Mount Evans on Memorial Day. But because of all the snow, couldn't do it. Years ago, Kim, and I know you're approaching the end, but years ago I debated an environmentalist on television here in Denver. And, and she, she was quoting people about global warming. And I said, do you realize the people you're quoting just a couple of years ago were predicting global cooling on right. such a massive scale that we would not be able to feed ourselves? And it stopped her for just a second, and then she said, well, it's going to be something. <laughs> and that's what the environmentalists say. It's going to be something, and like the, the quote of another movie from the movie The Fly, be afraid, be very afraid, and that's what they're preaching. They're preaching fear. And uh, they've been preaching fear since Malthus, and they have never gotten over it. Well, that's for sure. And so, uh, William Perry Penley, thank you so much. Uh, great conversation. And, uh, we, you know, I decided that we would do Ronald Reagan quotes. So I imagine that you're really going to like this one. He said <laughs> that he said the future doesn't belong to the faint hearted. It belongs to the brave. And, Perry, that's one of the things that we're working to do every day on this radio show is to be brave, to be talking about these yeah. issues honestly and with with no agenda. But the only agenda is, is that we believe in the American idea 
that through creativity and innovation, and of course done responsibly, that everyday people can thrive and prosper. And those yes. that, that preach fear, they want to have people afraid so that they don't step up and uh, go after their American dream. So again, that is uh, Ronald Reagan. He said, the future doesn't belong to the faint-hearted. It belongs to the brave. And William Perry Pinley, I know that you are one of the brave ones. You're very kind. Uh, wonderful program and keep it up. 